bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show. And here we are, just finished celebrating the 16th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act in Washington, D.C., and across this country, and what a great celebration that it was. And I just want to tell all of you that got in touch with me through the show, you know, keep up spreading the word, keep speaking up. That's how you make a difference. A new thing we've been going to be doing on this radio show is that I've been getting a lot of email about could we mention different people on their special day being their birthday. And so to kick it off, I'm starting off with a very special friend of mine, Reed Schultz, who I am so blessed to have as a neighbor, but he is just a great person and someone that also cares about people with disabilities. It is a very, very special day for him coming up. We are celebrating his special 40th birthday Although you think he's 20, but we're celebrating his 40th birthday. Do I hear music out there? <laughs> okay, Reg, wishing you the best birthday ever to one of the best people I know. And listen, any of you, I've been getting a lot of email. Could we start wishing happy birthdays to your special friends? And yes, we will. We're going to take a little part on every show. So just get in touch with me ahead of time and let me know who it is, and I'll be happy to send them a special birthday greeting. And you know what? We're carrying on this month celebrating, speaking up for different people that have been left out because we have today a true disability leader a special person who is a disability leader in the American Indian community, and she herself, a former radio host, Cindy Hughes, who is a legislative associate with the National Congress on American Indians in Washington, D.C., and formerly Miss Wheelchair America of 2004, a true leader in this country. Welcome to the show, to use. Wow. Well, thank you for the introduction. My, my. <laughs> thank you so much. I'm uh, very honored that you would ask me to come and be on the program. Well, I am just delighted to have you, and may I say you were highly recommended by one of my favorite groups of people, and that is, of course, the American Association of People with Disabilities. Oh, well, they're my one of my favorite groups, too. Yes. And everyone should be involved with them, AAPD.com. Here's a cross-disability group that is our voice in Washington, D.C., speaking up for people with disabilities, and certainly spoke so highly of you. But, Senda, for our listeners throughout the world listening to the show, what made you decide to become a disability leader in the American Indian community? And, by the way, kudos to you for doing that. But what made you decide to do that? Well, actually, I'm not sure that it was a conscious decision. It was more, uh, as most people do it, learning to be a self-advocate. 
um, I'm 44 years old, and so I was already 16 years old before the uh, IDEA was enacted. Only back then it was called 94-142, PL 94-142. And I actually um, was on the school newspaper at the time that the law was enacted and wrote an article about it for the paper. And then uh, coming to read about the law and learning about all of the different things and the opportunities that would be available to me, I availed myself of those opportunities. Um, for instance, when I moved to a new school, they didn't have an accessible bus. So I told them they were still going to have to transport me, and so they paid for a taxi to take me back and forth to school. Um, that was my entire junior year. Um, my senior year, the Bureau of Indian Affairs was implementing the law into the Bureau of Indian Affairs uh, schools and the tribal schools. And so I was nominated by Oklahoma Governor at that time, David Boren, to, and by my tribe, the Kiowa Tribe of Oklahoma, uh, to serve on that committee. Uh, on the advisory board that was uh, helping to advise the Bureau of Indian Affairs on how to implement that law into the Bureau of Schools. So, and I was only 17 years old at the time. So, uh, I just started out as a self-advocate and, uh, and then I realized that there are so many others who, uh, were also experiencing the same things that I was experiencing. I was just very fortunate to have um, talents in public speaking and uh, that I uh, was not very shy. I did a lot of public speaking in high school. That was kind of like my outlet. I did um, uh, public speaking and debate and did competitive speech and debate. So I, and I was very good at that. So this just seemed sort of a natural progression. And that has also been kind of the way my life has been all along. Instead of trying to force uh, my way into something, I, you know, try to um, create the opportunities and then take advantage of the opportunities once they do become available. And a lot of times I know with people with disabilities, we get very bogged down into other people's time frames. Well, you have to graduate by this certain time. You have to complete school by this certain time. And you need to be having a job by this certain time. And um, unfortunately, that just does not work in a lot of ways for the disability community and for students with disabilities. In many, many ways, it takes us a lot longer to accomplish things than it does others. Does that mean that it's any less valid? Does it mean that we're failures because we don't uh, abide by those time frames? I don't believe so. A slow and steady wins the race. So that's always kind of been one of my little mottos and things that I live by because I was a very um, success-oriented uh, child. Uh, my grandparents had, you know, very grandiose. They raised me. I was raised in a in a, a full-blood Kiowa household, and um, so I was raised with all of those values. And, and my grandfather and grandmother and my mother always told me that. Um, there was a purpose for you on this earth, and it's up to you to discover what that is. And so whenever I would get knocked down, I'd be allowed to cry for maybe five or ten minutes, and then it was like, okay, that's enough. Now it's time for you to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and figure out a way to solve this situation or a way to um, access what it is that you want to access. Well, 
obviously had great role models. And I know I have read about the Kiowa tribe, and I do want to talk to you about that later on, but there is uh, something that I feel is important that I wanted to talk about right at the beginning, and that is that I know the American Indian community has one of the highest incidents of disability, and yet it is the group that is frequently underserved. Why oh, is that? Very much so. I think that America has turned a blind eye and uh, to uh, today's American Indians and that we are viewed in the old stereotypical fashion that African Americans used to be viewed as, that, um, you know, somehow that we uh, brought on our own fate and that uh, we suffer because we choose to suffer and that... Um, we don't enter into the mainstream world, and so whatever happens to us, you know, we sort of deserve that. And that they think that because uh, a, a good example would be the Voting Rights Act, and that it wasn't just passed uh, right away, that there was debate going on, that there was debate, that there was no need for these uh, for these programs, that there was no need for this law. And uh, it was up to the minority people to speak up and, and tell a Congress and America that, no, there, there continues to be discrimination. Uh, we make up about 1% of the entire population across the United States. And, but those with disabilities within the American Indian community make up 22%. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and so uh, per capita, we do have the highest rate of disability across any of the um, uh, races, and I also think that a lot of people are ignorant that we are not just a, a racial minority within the United States; that we are also political entities. That written into our Constitution is the notion that American Indians are dependent sovereign nations, and each nation is a sovereign unto itself, much as France, much as Germany, much as Japan, China, any other nation across the world. Uh, each tribal nation is a sovereign nation. And so uh, a lot of times people are very ignorant of that, and um, but that we do have... a a political basis for the programs and for the services that are provided by the United States. Um, all of these millions of acres of land have a certain value, and that land used to belong to the American Indian tribes. Now that it no longer belongs to the American Indian tribes, there were treaties and uh, that were signed by the United States no less valid than treaties that were signed with France in order to gain the Louisiana Purchase, no different than the treaties that were signed with Spain in order to gain Texas and Western United States. And so do we invalidate those treaties just because time has passed? I don't believe so, and neither do uh, the governments of the tribes across the United States. Well, so why? What, what do we have to do to fix this? I mean... You know that 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 is terrible. Uh-huh. And I do have a question for you. I sure. had an email. Uh, someone emailed me asking me, "What does it mean um, when it is posted that you have the highest levels of disabilities, and yet the 
ADA does not apply to the tribal nations. What does that mean? Well, as I said before, we are sovereign nations, Mm -hmm. and so each nation decides for itself. Now, does it mean that tribes do not abide by the ADA? No, that's not what it means. What it means is that the United States cannot enforce the ADA upon Indian tribes, but Indian tribes are doing it on their own without having to be told what to do. They're very cognizant of uh, the of uh, Indians of their fellow citizens who have disabilities, and so uh, our housing programs and our um, recreational programs and our social service programs are applicable on Indian land. And uh, as a matter of fact, there are 97 vocational rehabilitation programs that across the United States that serve tribal members. Um, that are uh, operated by different tribes. Yeah, I see. I'm more worried about, do you think that's one of the reasons you're not getting the same um, help? That's what I'm meaning. No, I don't believe so. Um, uh, There is a a bill that is going through the Senate and the House. On the Senate side, it's called S-1057. On the House side, it's called H.R. 5312. In combination, their title is the Indian Health Care Improvement Act. And that's going through right now? Uh, yes. All right. Yes. Well, we'll talk more about that when we come back. If you just joined the show, we're talking to Miss Cindy Hughes, former Miss Wheelchair of America, and right now the Legislative Associate for the National Congress on American Indians. You're listening to America's Voice. Joyce Bender on voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. The world leader in Internet talk radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Albert Einstein once said, Nothing happens until something moves. Well, your movement towards realizing a dream, making a long-lasting change to your life, or simply putting a daily smile on your face is just a click away. Tune into Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney and free your mind, open your heart, and ignite action in your life. Host and commander in change, empowerment coach, and international speaker, Scott Chesney shares his insights to making the most out of your daily lives. Scott interviews people who are maximizing their lives, the most recognizable transformationalists and leaders around the world, as well as those hometown heroes that move, touch, and inspire the best in all of us. Stay tuned into Maximizing Life for Scott's one-on-one coaching with callers. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney broadcasts each Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, inspiring you to live life with passion, purpose, and limitless potential. Go beyond success and discover a deeper meaning to life. Join host Jeffrey Gitterman and his guests, the premier thought leaders in business, politics, science, spirituality, and culture. 
who have reached the pinnacle of financial and professional attainment in their fields, only to discover a profound lack of fulfillment with what our culture defines as success. So won't you tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time to Jeffrey Gitterman and Beyond Success, redefining the meaning of prosperity, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back, and if you just joined us, we're talking to Cindy Hughes, who is a disability leader in this country and trying to lead the way for American Indians with disabilities. And you know what I always say, at the end of the day, I don't care where you live, I don't care if you're... African-American, I don't care if you're American Indian, I don't care if you live in another country, but disability is disability, no matter where you are. I know, as a woman with epilepsy, believe me, a seizure is a seizure, no matter where you live and no matter where you are. So, Senda, you you were just talking before we went to break about a law that you're working on right now. What was that again? It's called the Indian Healthcare Improvement Act. And uh, this is actually uh, a part of uh, the treaty obligations that the United States has with American Indian people, and that is to provide medical services. That is done through a bureau, uh, a department in the Department of Interior called Indian Health Services. And they have different clinics and uh, hospitals across the United States. Currently, they are only funded 59 cents on the dollar. Uh, We receive half the amount of money that uh, federal uh, prison inmates receive as far as health care goes. So uh, the sad fact... Whoa, whoa, would you repeat that again? Yes. We receive half the amount of dollars for our health care as federal prison inmates. Why? Because we are not viewed as something that's important. We're not viewed as an important voting block because we make up so a few, uh, such a small portion of United States voters. Oh, my goodness, that's terrible. And, and, okay, so where are we with this bill? Well, right now uh, we are trying to get it heard on the Senate floor this week because, you know, we when we come back, they're going to go into recess next week. And uh, they'll, and then when they come back two weeks later, they'll only have three weeks left to go before the end of session or their target end of session, which is uh, the uh, September the thirtieth. So, uh, and then in the House side, it is stuck in the Energy and Commerce Committee. So uh, right now, we're just working on a call to action from the different tribes and tribal leaders. And as a matter of fact, anyone who would like to see better health care for American Indians to call their congressman and to alert them and let them know that this bill should be passed. It has not been reauthorized since 1976. So we don't have uh, any real programs or real money that goes into behavioral health. We have the highest suicide rate in the United States of America. We have one of the highest teen suicide rates in the world. And uh, it's just, it's really, really awful. And we don't have the services that we need in order to provide help to these children. And just to let you know, uh, there is a strong...
strong belief, and uh, we are trying to back it up with data, that a majority of these teen suicides are um, young adults who have either a learning, a cognitive, or an emotional disability. Oh, that is terrible. You're telling me you have the highest teen suicide in the world. One of the highest, yes. One I'm of the not. highest in the world. Yes. Oh, that's terrible, absolutely terrible. And you know what? That so easily could be affiliated with some type of issue. Oh, yes. With the right medication, counseling, therapy, this wouldn't be happening. Exactly. Okay, so one more time. What do you want everyone to do if they want to call their senator? Oh, please call the Congress and ask them to uh, hear the um, the version that was passed out of the uh, Senate Indian Affairs Committee, S-1057, on the Senate floor, and for the House Energy and Commerce Committee, which is a very difficult committee to get through because that is all of your your uh, oil and, com- and uh, environmental um, and commerce and all of this and that. That that's the committee that it's stuck in on the House side, and that is HR fifty three twelve or S ten fifty seven. But if you just call it the Indian Healthcare Improvement Act, they will know what you're talking about. The Indian Healthcare Approval Act. Improvement. Improvement Act. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Call your senator and congressman, your House and Senate. Call them both. Well, well, I want to make sure now I'm pronouncing this correct. Is it the Kiowa tribe? Kiowa. Kiowa. Mm-hmm. Kiowa tribe. Mm-hmm. You are a member of the Kiowa tribe, and there are 12,000 members. And I did a little bit of research, and I know that means principal people. Uh huh. What, what does that mean? Well, um, most uh, tribes call themselves by that name, just according to whatever language that they utilize. Uh, but, you know, when you uh, meet the, uh, came into contact with the whites, whatever mispronunciation they used was what our tribe was called. Uh, for instance, we're actually Goigu is how you say it in Kiowa. But um, because they couldn't pronounce that, they just stopped with Kiowa. I see. And so that's, uh, that's uh, what, uh, how it is with most tribes. And the Kiowa tribe, is it mainly in Oklahoma? Right now, yes, we're mainly in Oklahoma, but like very many, most of the other tribes in Oklahoma, we weren't necessarily indigenous to Oklahoma. Uh, we were removed there. I'm sure most people have heard of the Cherokee Trail of Tears, uh, where they force marched in the winter uh, the entire tribe of Cherokees from North Carolina all the way to Oklahoma, and thousands and thousands died. Um, well, um, that was kind of the same way with most of the other tribes. They were forcibly removed to the state of Oklahoma because originally Oklahoma was supposed to be the Indian state. And then when uh, that didn't wasn't enough land, then they broke it up into allotments, um, much the same way that they did uh, post-Civil War with the 40 acres that they gave as reparations for um, the slaves. Uh, American Indians were accorded 160 acres each in 1901, and that was to uh, release half of the state for farmers, which would have been called the Sooner Land Run, which is where the OU name gets their gets their name from. Which we kind of, we, we in Oklahoma find highly ironic, uh, especially the tribes uh, 
Sooner was the name of someone who uh, jumped the line and went and staked their claim before the race was on. And so those who were thieves were called Sooners. <laughs> Is that right? That's yes. interesting. It's very, very it's, interesting. It's highly ironic. But that's where you are. Your, the, your tribe is mainly in Oklahoma. Yes, but we were very nomadic people, and we were actually the ones who introduced the horses to the French fur traders in Canada. We travel all the way down to Mexico and steal the horses from the Spanish, ride them all the way up north, and sell them to the French fur traders. So, but we so we um, migrated up and down, following the buffalo and the game and the weather. Uh, until we were forced to stop. Well, now, how did you end up getting involved in Miss Wheelchair America? Well, that, that was that's kind of a funny story. Uh, uh, I lived in an, an independent living center apartment in Norman, Oklahoma. It was the first in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, let's see, I lived there for um, 10 years, starting in about 1985, and uh or eight, no it was actually 84 and uh there was a a young lady there who lived there her name she was a Comanche from the Comanche tribe and so we became friends and she uh I had moved up to Oklahoma City and actually got a job working for the Oklahoma State Senate staff and the chief of staff's office being a receptionist and doing some um research and so she asked me if I wanted to do it. And I said, oh, girl, I am 40 years old. I am so way past the, the sash and crown age. I said, no way, no way. And she, said, and she asked me, please, because there was just such a shortage of, of girls and she really needed some people to try out. So I was like, okay, I'll go for it. Well, it just turned out that the uh, the girls who uh, were that the, when I read about the contest itself, it was not a beauty pageant. It was to find an advocate, a public advocate for women with disabilities and for people with disabilities, that it was a program of achievement and accomplishment. And so that differentiated it very much for me. And uh, so when I went there to the contest in the state of Oklahoma, I just happened to, because I'd had so much experience being a public advocate and uh, so much experience at, at volunteering and doing all these different things and, and being a good public speaker, that I won that. So then I decided that uh, I was going to go for it. If I was in it, then I was going to go for it. And I was in the right place at the right time. I worked at the Oklahoma State Senate and did a lot of volunteer work for about 15 years with uh, the Oklahoma Democratic Party. So I knew a lot of lobbyists who had money. So I got donations to buy clothes, to pay for my trip. And actually the Chickasaw Nation of Oklahoma paid my entry fee and my um, hotel and um, airfare there. So the tribes were uh, really supportive of me in Oklahoma. And then after I won, uh, uh, which I was just couldn't believe it because there were girls who were half my age and very, very beautiful and and and, uh, and very accomplished in their own right. Um, I just happened to, I guess, do things the right that were pleasing to the judges, and um, had a lot of experience at public speaking. 
So I I was very fortunate that uh, I was crowned, and I was crowned actually on the uh, 14th anniversary of the ADA. I was crowned on July the 26th in 2003. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so I was really excited about that, and Senator Harkin was our keynote speaker. And oh, of course, you my know, goodness. He's such a hero. Yeah. So uh, I was very fortunate that that, uh, that was the time for me, and I uh, had made my platform to be political participation and the necessity of political participation for people with disabilities. And so I uh, had been asked to be the keynote speaker for the Department of Labor's ADA uh, celebration, and I came and lobbied on Capitol Hill for Mikasa. Wow. So well, it was you very really were a greatness wheelchair, let me tell you that. And if you just joined in, you're listening to Cindy Hughes, Miss Wheelchair 2004, and Legislative Associate for the National Congress on American Indians and radio host, which we'll talk about that in a minute when we come back. You're listening to America's Voice on voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. From our home to your speakers, voiceamerica.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Ever wonder what are the favorite travel destinations of the Hollywood Jet Set? Where do celebrities like to go when they aren't walking the red carpet? Tune in to Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with President of Traveris, David Manning, and Lisa O'Hurley, golf aficionado and wife of actor John O'Hurley. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa talk with well-known actors, sports celebrities, and entertainment insiders to find out about their favorite travel destinations and what they recommend. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa also offer up feature vacations each week and last-minute deals for your next getaway. Find out what's new and exciting in the travel industry, as well as how to raise money for your nonprofit organizations while enjoying a wonderful vacation. Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with David Manning and Lisa O'Hurley broadcasts each Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, your inside look into celebrities and travel. Join Patricia Raskin, host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Positive Living, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Bringing you around the world, right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And if you just tuned in, we're talking to Cindy Hughes, Legislative Associate for the National Congress on American Indians, 
and a real leader in this country fighting the fight for Americans with disabilities. Um, and a question I have for you, Cinda, from Linda from Virginia. is Cinda, it is wonderful what you're doing. I do have a question for you. I'm wondering how you were able to become so independent and overcome so many obstacles and do everything you have done in your life as it seems that for many of us with significant disabilities or for friends or members of our family, it's very hard to even get to the place where some people are able to get out, go on a date, and do things other people do. What do you attribute to your ability to be so independent? Uh, I think it has to do with my family. Uh, my mother had, before I was born, it just so happened that about a year or so before she became pregnant with me, she worked for a special needs child care. It was one of the first in the country. And so she learned a lot about that. And my uncle, who also lived with us, he was unmarried. Um, he was an educator for uh, um, an Indian boarding school. And uh, so they both uh, taught me to be independent and wanted me to do as much as I could do for myself for as a very young child. And my grandparents were always saying, someday you're going to have to learn how to take care of yourself. Someday you're, we're not going to be around, and, and this was constantly since I was a, a very small child being reminded of these things. You're going to have to learn how to take care of yourself. What are you going to do? We need to figure this out. And um, so, and in school, I was always taught, you know, you do what you need to do in order to become independent. And so that was always the emphasis. And I know uh, from experience and from seeing many of my friends that unfortunately a lot of families either baby their children too much and do too much for them. And so they're, they're, or they're wanting to protect them from the blows of this world, which of course we all want to protect our children and we all want to, not for them to have to suffer or to cry or to feel badly about anything. But that's how we learn a lot of times. A lot of times we learn by the buffers and the blows that we receive and we become stronger people for it. It's, it's a learning kind of thing. And so um, my suggestion and, and my advice is just take it one day at a time, that you can't put yourself according to other people's timetables or other people's goals. You have to create your own goals, and you have to see each one as far as you can. And if the front door isn't open, then you try to go in the back door, you go in the attic, you go in the basement. You know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And if you can't hit it right head on, there are lots of other ways to do it. It took me three times to apply for this position at NCAI uh, and to apply for different jobs in D.C. before I got one. It took me a year of planning to before it finally happened. And that's even with all of my accomplishments. Well, and that is such great advice for anyone listening to the show because it is perseverance. It is that spirit of not giving up. It is believing in yourself and continuing on, although I have to tell you your family did a fantastic thing for you because I agree with what you said, Cinda. See, I believe that if you 
baby the person or pity the person, that if you do that forever, that in the end, that will be the biggest problem. Yeah, it's a disservice. Yes. In the long run. It's a disservice, and that is that is the worst thing that you can possibly do. And look what you have achieved, uh, and I... You know, it's very obvious you do have a very independent spirit. And, you know, look what you've been able to do. Wonderful. Well, well, thank you. Uh, okay, and just... we, have, we have another question oh, sure. from Clint in North Dakota. And Clint's question is, Miss Hughes, uh, first of all, wonderful that you're on this show. It's so great to see someone speaking up for the American Indians with disabilities and talking about it. My question is, in the United States, at various events that you have attended, how often do you hear anyone talking about the situation or plight of American Indians with disabilities? Uh, within the mainstream disability community, even, uh, it's, it's not spoken of so much. It is really starting to change, though, and not just because of me. Um, there is a wonderful woman who works for the University of Montana by the name of Julie Clay, and I can't say enough wonderful things about her. Um, she operates uh, uh, the Disability Technical Institute uh, for the University of Montana, and she provides um, technical advice and um, help for uh, programs that want to reach out to American Indians with disabilities. And I believe she has a Ph.D. and she has severe cerebral palsy. Uh, she is a wonderful advocate, and like I said, there are 97 vocational rehabilitation programs that are uh, tribal-specific across the United States, and each one of those programs does a wonderful job of outreach to its community, and they are also grooming leaders. There is a young woman who's attending American University right now. Her name is Sasheen, and she's blind, and she is a wonderful new leader. So uh, we are we are moving forward, and we don't hear too much about them. You are right about that, but we are trying to change that. There are several groups out. There's a, a parents advocacy group that recently had uh, advocacy training up here in Washington D.C. called Native American Families Together. They're a wonderful group, uh, and so are all of the VR programs, and they also have a consortium that operates as an umbrella group called KNAR, the Consortium of Administrators of Native American Rehabilitation Programs. And they are a wonderful group. So it is moving forward as uh, the ADA progresses and uh, children with disabilities are growing up with these programs. Um, and as we all know, there's always a shortage of funding for social service programs, particularly in a very conservative environment. And so we struggle with that. But um, as we all know, the pendulum always swings back and forth. And I believe that the more patient we are and we keep fighting the good fight, and eventually the, the, um, the pendulum will swing back towards more uh, liberal viewpoint. And once that occurs, I think that we'll see some more positive changes occur for the disability community as a whole and also for the American Indian disability community. And I'm a big believer that with this Indian Health Care Improvement Act, then we could have a lot more programs that would open up the world for uh, awareness about Indians with disabilities. Oh, yes. I think that is so important. I agree with you 100%. Well, um, I wanted to ask you a question. I, wanted, I wondered 
what caused you to start the uh, radio show? Let's hear about when you were the host of a radio show. Uh, well, um, I lived in Oklahoma City at the time, and I was doing a lot of work with the Democratic Party trying to, and right now I'm nonpartisan, so I don't want this to appear that, that I am partisan now. Now that my job is to be bipartisan, I have had a, have a very positive working relationship with the administration and a very positive working relationship with uh, Republican members of Congress, and they've been very open and above board and, and wanting to learn about the disability community and, and our needs. So I, I want to make that very clear that even though my past has been uh, on a private volunteer basis with one party, that uh, I have had lots of very positive relationships with uh, Republican members of Congress and uh, with the administration. And I want to applaud them for the work that they are doing. Dr. McClellan at CMS is a wonderful uh, advocate, and Dr. Giannini at the Office of Disability is also a, a hard worker for people with disabilities. Um, two, yes, two great people. Right. So, uh, but with that uh, in mind, I wanted to try to get Indian people to vote, and also to create an awareness among the mainstream Oklahoma population of the contributions that tribes make to the state. We are the number. We are the fourth highest employer in uh, the state of Oklahoma, and uh, we are also uh, the the number one taxpayer in the state of Oklahoma, contrary to popular belief. And um, so I just want, a lot of people tend to think, well, Indians get free everything. We get free education, we get free housing, we get free food, we, you, know, every, you know, money falls down from the sky, you know, we're all rolling in, in cash, uh, but that's just not the case. The truth of the matter is only 20% of the 571 tribes in the United States have Indian gaming. And only 10% of that 20% are successful. Hmm. Very interesting. But uh, you Very wouldn't know that by reading or, look or watching the media. Right. You would think it's everywhere. Right. And, and so highly successful, too. Right. And, yes, we are very successful, uh, but I'm not sure that that's due to any kind of special treatment. Whatever tax breaks American Indians get, the oil industry also receives, the auto industry receives, all types of industries receive the same types of tax incentives that American Indian tribes do. Well, very informative for all of us, and we're going to talk more to miss and to use a leader in this country speaking up for American Indians with disabilities. You're listening to America's Voice. Disability Matters with Joyce Bender on voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Conversation at a click of a mouse. VoiceAmerica.com I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. 
To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. The Woman MVP Who Sets You Free with host, entrepreneur, author, motivational speaker, corporate executive, philanthropist, wife, and mother, Luann Mitchell-Halter is an exciting and provocative look at the real world with real exciting guests and real stories of triumph and professionalism with a dash of spice sharing recipes for a better world on all the playing fields of life. Join Luann Mitchell-Halter as she and her guests uncover and expose us to our abilities to create our very own Big League MVP, My Victory Plan, Potential for Greatness. The Woman MVP Who Sets You Free with Luann Mitchell-Halter broadcasts each Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. The Woman MVP Who Sets You Free. It's time to get off the bleachers, play the game of life, and be the MVP. Albert Einstein once said, nothing happens until something moves. Will your movement towards realizing a dream, making a long-lasting change to your life, or simply putting a daily smile on your face is just a click away. Tune into Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney and free your mind, open your heart, and ignite action in your life. Hosting Commander and Change, Empowerment Coach, and International Speaker, Scott Chesney shares his insights to making the most out of your daily lives. Scott interviews people who are maximizing their lives, the most recognizable transformationalists and leaders around the world, as well as those hometown heroes that move, touch, and inspire the best in all of us. Stay tuned into Maximizing Life for Scott's one-on-one coaching with callers. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, broadcast each Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America channel. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, inspiring you to live life with passion, purpose, and limitless potential. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Welcome back. And today we've been talking to Cinda Hughes, the legislative associate for the National Council Congress on American Indians about what's happening in our country, in this country, and at the reservations for American Indians with disabilities. And I do have a few last questions I want to make sure I get to ask. One is, as you mentioned, Cindy, there are 571 American Indian tribes. Your opinion, what is the feeling in the American Indian community about disability? I mean, are there strong stigmas that exist? Of course, there are you know, across the United States. But I'm wondering, how how different is it in the American Indian community? Uh, well, uh, as you said, I work for the National Congress of American Indians, and we, we represent 270 member tribes. We're the oldest and largest American Indian organization uh, in the United States. And uh, we, uh, the legislative associates, there are about five of us, and, and we work on uh, about six or seven issues each. And disability is the, one of the, one of my issues. I also do Medicare, Medicaid, and a bunch of other stuff too. Um, but across the, the country, uh, among the Indian tribes, I'm not sure that there is so much a stigma as far as uh, physical disability goes. I think that as we all know, those who suffer from emotional um, disabilities have uh, a harder road to, uh, to go through, I believe, because they're a hidden disability and those with learning disabilities. But I think that has more to do with American Indians 
assimilating the notions and the ideas of mainstream uh, Caucasians than it is with our traditions. Um, our traditions, there's a place for everyone in the circle of life, and everyone has a, a gift and um, those that might be suffering from these different things in schools and stuff like that, I think they more assimilate the pop culture out there. That's all about how sexy you are. That's all about how curvy you are. That's all about who your boyfriend or girlfriend is, you know, what kind of clothes you're wearing, that kind of thing. So I think it has more to do with what's troubling um America as a whole, and that has to do with the values of of uh, not being of substance. That's very interesting. So you're, you're meaning in, in the actual American Indian tradition, it is not that you are considered inferior if you're blind or in a wheelchair or have some type of disability? No, no. Now, that's not to say that a long time ago, that uh, they lived or that they, um, you know, made their way from infancy if they had a severe birth defect. But uh, those who became blind or those who uh, who had an onset of disability, now this would be merely because of, of uh, you know, lack of, of any sort of uh, help that might have, that we've got medical Advances and things like that. So I don't think it really has to do with the traditions, but um, the traditional people, everybody has a place in the circle, no matter who you are, and we all have a gift that we bring to our people and to our families. Now, who do you have as a role model um, in the American Indian community prior prior to what you've been doing? That has speaking out been speaking out for American Indians with disabilities. Um, I would have to say um, my good friend Sally. Uh, Sally is an administrate was an administrative law judge in um, Sally Willett. She was administrative law judge. She's a member of the Cherokee Nation uh, for the Social Security Administration in New Orleans, and she was very much an advocate. Uh, she had. Um, an emotional disability. And so she worked very hard for people with disabilities, and she was such a mentor to me at a time when I didn't have a job and I couldn't uh, go to school and I was living on $450 of supplemental security income and $15 worth of food stamps and uh, a lady who came in three hours a day. And that was when I lived that way for 10 years. And it's a demeaning, humiliating experience. And yet millions of people with disabilities have to live that way. And it is a travesty. But uh, I, I, I was bogged down in a lot of despair, in a lot of um, uh, depression, and Sally was a good friend to me and constantly reminded me, you're so smart, you can do this and you can do that and, and why don't you try this and why don't you try that. And she was such uh, a wonderful um, mentor to me and uh, she still is and I have a lot to be grateful to her for. And to tell you the truth, I also get a lot of inspiration from Gwen Gillenwater. 
she uh, she is um, a policy director for AAPD, and she's such a dynamo, and she feeds my ego all the time, and she's so wonderful at, at um, being supportive and of praising the work and of trying to bring more Indians with disabilities into their organization. And she's just a tireless worker on Capitol Hill for all people with disabilities. And so she's, uh, and my boss, Jackie Johnson, who is um, the director of the National Congress of American Indians, she's tireless in that. And she brought me on sight unseen just from interviewing me over the phone and has given me a tremendous amount of responsibility and has not uh, babied me or, or anything, but has just really uh, given me more and more responsibility, and, uh, and which I enjoy, and I'm glad that she depends on me for that. And she is a wonderful advocate, as is uh, uh, Stacy Bolin, who is the director of the National Indian Health Board. We're doing a, a, a program on uh, transitioning youth, uh, Indian youth with disabilities, uh, transitioning programs from uh, young adult services, I mean from uh, child services to young adult services, and all the things that go into transitioning to independent living. So uh, we are making strides, and the, all of these wonderful ladies are mentors and inspirations for me. Well, you have some truly great ones there, and I agree with you. Um, about Gwen, I don't know everyone else you've mentioned, but I know that she is, or, well, we know she's a real dynamo because that's how I got to meet you, so you <laughs> know I give her kudos for that. But, boy, that friend of yours, Sally, she really threw out the lifeline. She the did. Time. She sure did. Because, as you said, people, millions, living the way you did, it's terrible. It is. It is terrible. That's why I always tell people the word disability and poverty often go hand in hand, and people don't realize that, but they do. Well, Cindy, you have accomplished so much in your life already, but I ask every guest on the show these last two questions. First, what is your greatest accomplishment of what are you proudest of? Uh, I think that I'm proud that I'm able to uh, bring American Indian with disability issues to the national forefront and that um, now uh, we are on the radar screen and I get calls from different members, different parts of the administration wanting to hear about Indians with disabilities and that uh, I, I'm very happy for that and I think that that's going to create tremendous opportunities for all of the people that come after me. I do too. I do too, and I hold that door open. I don't want to be the only one. Don't get, I'm not all like that. I I want others to come in and, and help me do the work. There's more than enough work to go around. You want to see other people? Oh yes, very much. Also so. getting involved. Oh, very much so. And how about how about Cinda? As far as um, with your family. Teachers, did you have a teacher that also was a role model for you? Uh, I had a teacher by the name of Mr. Hamilton. Um, he was my fifth grade English teacher. And he always praised me and uh, told me how smart I was and 
said that I could do anything that I wanted if I set my mind to it. And this was in middle school at a time when everybody else was ooh, 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 and and not wanting to have anything to do with me, and I was very much an outcast. And uh, so uh, this gentleman and and another gentleman by the name of Mr. Nixon, both, uh, he was one of my homeroom teachers when I was in the seventh grade, Um, both were wonderful people in trying to um, give me encouragement and to see me through those hard times. Well, that is awesome. Well, Senda, uh, what message would you like to leave with our listeners today? To uh, stay tenacious and to persevere. There's kind of a joke. There was an old movie in 1976 called The Outlaw Josie Wales with Clint Eastwood. Mm -hmm. And Chief uh, Dan George uh, was an Indian actor at the time. And he was very funny. And one of his little youth uh, sayings was, I endeavor to persevere. And Indian people get that joke because they know that movie. But uh, I think that there is a lot of truth to that. American Indian people are survivors, and people with disabilities are survivors. Those are things that we have in common. And I think that we must survive. And you just have to get up every day and just do the best that you can do that day and let the day take care of itself. And sooner or later, uh, things will turn around and things will start to get better. You heard it from Miss Cindy Hughes, the legislative associate for the National Congress on American Indians. And you know, at the end of every show, we always end with a quote, from a disability leader in this country, and today that quote will be from Cindy Hughes when she talked about seeing Miss Wheelchair, she said, I decided to be in this pageant because this is not a beauty pageant. The purpose and mission of Miss Wheelchair America is to be a public advocate and to talk to decision and policy makers about the lives of people with disabilities. Three out of five American Indians live with a disability. We are the quiet majority. I wanted to bring awareness about the plight of most of Native America and what our lives are like with a disability. Said Miss Cindy Hughes, thank you for being our guest today and keep the fight going. Thank you. Thank you. And we look forward to seeing all of you next week on Disability Matters. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.